Let me now pray for the reading and the preaching of God's Word. Dear Heavenly Father, Your Word teaches us that we live not simply or only by bread, but we live by Your Word. And so we come with expectation that we will receive from Your Word and feed on Christ and His Word. We pray that You would nourish us. We pray that through the reading and preaching of Your Word, You would accompany it by the power of Your Spirit as Christ is proclaimed for Your people. We pray that You would bring about conviction of sin. We pray that You would bring about a rejoicing in Christ and who He is for us. We pray that we would be hearers and doers of the Word. That we would hear and receive the good news and then go out in joy, in gratitude to obey Your commands. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 is our text for this morning. James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 says this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls off and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The most important thing in your life is not your status with other people, but your status with God. The status of the lowliest Christian is greater than that of the most exalted unbeliever. When I was in high school, my family moved from Raleigh to Wendell. Um, We moved there starting my 11th grade year. Now, in in elementary school, in middle school, even in the first two years of high school, I was introverted, quiet, Kind of on the geeky side. Uh, didn't have, I wasn't in with the cool crowd. I wasn't in with the, the cool friends. And so I saw this as an opportunity. The 11th grade at a new school. I am going to become popular. And so at lunch especially. I went to different tables. Trying to find who were the cool kids. That I could associate with. And I jumped right in. And it worked. <laughs> I became popular. Uh, and this, I, was, I became so wrapped up in my status, my standing with the people around me, that I gave little attention to whether or not my life was pleasing to God. I was all consumed about the, my status with others rather than my status, my standing before God. And I learned how shallow popularity can be. We know this from our own experience. Uh, looking at movie stars, the roller coaster ride of popularity or of fame. We know this with riches, how quickly someone could win the lottery and then the next year be completely broke. Uh, with all, this is the case with all things that bring 
earthly status and recognition and pride. They are shallow. They are temporary. They are transient. They are here one day and gone the next, like sand slipping through your fingers as you're trying to grasp it. So are all those who try to grasp onto the wealth of this world. What is it that makes you feel really good about yourself? What is it that gives you a sense of pride because of your standing or status with others? What is it that you like to brag about, that you like to boast about before others? In this passage, James addresses Christians with the trials of poverty and of wealth. Uh, So in the same way he instructed his readers to take a heavenly perspective of their trials, here he's exhorting believers to take a heavenly perspective of their own status in life, of their own uh, life, their way of living, their earthly wealth or their lack thereof. The poor believers should glory or boast because they truly have a high position. But those who are rich should remember that all their earthly possessions won't last. And in the end, what will really matter is one's status with God and not with the world. So looking at the context here, it it might be easy to separate verses 9 through 11 from the rest of the context. But we notice what this really third section at the introduction of James is dealing with. He's dealing with trials still. You see that in verses 2 through uh, 4, he's discussing, consider it joy when you go through trials, this heavenly perspective, because you know the testing of your faith is producing endurance. God is at work behind the scenes in these trials to grow you, to make you into a more mature Christian as you trust in him through them. And then in verses 5 through 8, he discusses wisdom in the midst of trials. Uh, This is probably something we all lack. It is something we all lack, especially in the midst of trials. And so he says, if you find yourself lacking wisdom, ask of God and he will give it to you. But you must ask in faith without any doubting. And so as we come to verses 9 through 11, we still see this, this theme of trials presence, but also of wisdom. James is discussing what it will look like to have wisdom in relation to poverty, in relation to riches, in the midst of trials. Surely you notice the contrast between the poor and the rich. He draws this contrast between those who are of humble estate or circumstances, those of lowly circumstances, and those who are well off, those who are rich. So we'll Go right along with James and address it in the way that he does. So consider first those of lowly circumstances. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So this is one of of lowly or humble circumstances. Uh, Generally, it refers to someone who is unimportant, of little importance, of someone who doesn't mean a whole lot in the great schemes of things of the world. Uh, This person is looked down upon by those who have great status or those who are rich. So generally, it's referring to one of lowly circumstances. But in the context, it appears James is referring primarily to one who is poor, one who is of low socioeconomic status. But he also clarifies that this is a brother, meaning a Christian. This is one who is in relationship to God, as Father, through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Let the lowly brother exalt, glory, boast in his high position. This is the command that he gives. This is the exhortation that he gives to the the poor believer. You are to boast in your high position. You are to glory in your exaltation. But I thought we weren't supposed to brag about it. I thought we weren't supposed to boast about anything. But this idea really is present throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, and throughout the New. In Psalm 34, verse 2, David says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. In Psalm 44, 8, he's describing how, the, the psalmist is describing how, we don't, I don't trust in my bow to save me. I don't trust in my sword for victory. God is the one who gives victory. We have boasted in Him continually. And then, of course, the very familiar passage in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. And then you have Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 31, quoting Jeremiah. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then, of course, how could we forget Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, boasting in his weakness, the thorn in the flesh, which he cried out to God to remove. But Christ said to him, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in your weaknesses. And so Paul says, so I'm going to boast all the more in my weaknesses and hardships and persecutions because I know when I am weak, then I am strong. So here, James is saying, the lowly brother is to boast in his high position. What high position? That seems contradictory. He's a lowly brother. Doesn't he have a low position? What James is getting at here is that he wants us to see this in an eternal perspective, a heavenly perspective of the believer's true status or standing before God. What he's saying is we must assess our status, not in material terms, but in spiritual terms. In Christ, the believer is a child of God a brother of Jesus Christ, and an heir through Christ of the kingdom of heaven. And all this belongs to the child of God, whether he is filthy rich or dirt poor. He is an heir of the kingdom. But it's interesting, James spends more time on the rich man. Note note the parallel. The poor Christian is to boast in his exaltation, and the rich is to boast in his humiliation. Now, there's some question here, and there was some disagreement here among those who have studied this passage as to whether is this referring to a rich believer or to a rich unbeliever. And how we interpret that will uh, change how we view this passage. I came to the text initially thinking, well, it's obviously speaking about an unbelieving rich person. Uh, But the more I read, the more I came to the conclusion, actually, from the parallel of the, of the poor man and of the rich man, 
of boasting in exaltation, boasting in humiliation from the context, from the parallel. I think he's referring to a rich believer. This all is in the context of uh, considering it joy in the midst of trials, of having wisdom in the midst of trials. And I think James is addressing here the trials of poverty and of wealth because both can be trials. Both can cause us to take our eyes off of Christ and begin to doubt His goodness and love for us. This will mean those who are rich must also assess their status not by earthly measurements, but by heavenly and spiritual measurements. Now, as you consider, probably you're already considering which category you you fit in. Am I rich or am I a poor believer? Am I wealthy or am I a poor believer? And of course, there's, um, it's not a, an either or necessarily. There's certainly a range of poverty and riches. Just considering in the grand scheme of things, though, think about you know, your lot in life throughout all of history. Think about your lot, lot in life in, in all of the world third world countries, and how can we come to the conclusion we are anything but wealthy? I think James gives us a clear warning here, a warning that we need living in America to flee from the love of money, to flee from thinking our status is bound up in the material things we possess. The rich man must boast in his humiliation not in his high place in the world, not in what he owns or the status he has among others. But what does this mean, though? What does it mean that the rich believer must glory or boast in his humiliation? Well, I think it means one thing. Even though he is high in worldly status or rich in worldly status, his life is just as transient as the poor man's life. Later, we'll see James says, your life is but a mist. It's here one day and it's gone the next. How then does this impact how you live here on this earth? James gives an illustration to show the transient nature of our lives and of wealth. The rich man is like a wild flower. The sun comes and scorches it. It was also uh, some sort of hot wind that came through the fields and would just burn up these wildflowers just in a matter of a day or two. The sun comes and scorches the wildflower. It withers and its beauty is destroyed. Here one day, gone the next. In the grand scheme of things, the rich person must recognize he will wither and die and lose all of his stuff. But he must also, I think another application of this for the rich man is he must learn to associate with the poor. He must not push the poor away. He must, as James says later, he must not show partiality. If there comes into your fellowship one who is dressed in shabby clothes and there also comes one who is dressed with the best clothes and with rings and with jewelry, how are you going to treat them? As Paul tells us in Romans 12, 16, 
Learn to associate with the lowly. Learn to associate with the poor. Or as Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 14, you know, when you go to a party, sit in the place, the low place. When you throw a party, invite those who can't pay you back. And I really think that this applies not just to us personally, but to us as a church. This is one area the church should be different. So we we talk about, I like to talk about diversity. And often what you hear me saying in diversity is a sort of ethnic diversity. And I do mean that. I long for our fellowship to reflect more and more the church that we see in Revelation of people from all tongues and tribes and peoples and nations gathering together to worship Christ our Lord. But it also points to the idea of socioeconomic diversity. You know, who, what kind of church are we for? Do we long to simply be a church that is all the same? We're all of the same kind of earthly status? Or do we long for all sorts of people? Are we a church for all people? This has a, a great application for the church. The poor and the rich alike will fade away as they are going about their business. Now, I don't think, I, I think we may tend to see what he's talking about here with the wildflower as judgment, but really, I think what he's pointing at it is the transience of life. It's not so much a statement of the final judgment, but of the brevity of life on this earth. Now, what I want you to be aware of is your status before God, which is the, the aspect that really matters. Your status your true status before God. So if you are not a Christian, by that I don't just mean a <clears throat> culturally you, you like the values of the Bible. I mean uh, you have repented of your sins. You've come to a desperation in your sins and trusted in Christ to save you, clinging to Christ in faith that He will save you because of His death on the cross for you and His resurrection from the dead. If you have not done that, if you are not a believer, you need to know that your status before God is one of severe danger. You stand before God as one who has rebelled from His kingdom. His wrath remains upon you like a sword ready to fall upon His prey. And when you die, there will be no, no escaping His judgment. I know if this is you, this sounds really harsh. It sounds extreme. But I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't plead with you to understand that this is your status. And and all who have not come to faith in Christ, this is your status before God. One of severe danger. Regardless of your earthly possessions or your worldly prestige, If you are not in Christ, you are in danger. And the call is to repent of your sin, to turn from your sin, to change your mind about sin and confess that in humility before God and ask Him to save you because of Christ, because of the work of Christ in His perfect life, His sacrificial death for sinners, in His resurrection from the dead. That will become your hope. When you are a Christian. But if you are in Christ. If you receive Christ today. You can be sure. That your status is one of great exaltation. 
the highest position you could imagine. Regardless of your status in this life, you are right with God and royal heirs of His majesty. The status of the poorest and lowliest Christian is greater than that of the richest unbeliever. So what can we say about our status as Christians, as believers? What is true concerning we who, who we are in Christ, no matter our earthly position? Here's the main doctrine or theme. The Christian's true status is one of humble exaltation. The Christian's true status is one of humble exaltation. Notice three aspects about this status. The status of the believer is independent from his earthly status. It's independent from his own earthly status. So James calls for a transformation of perspective, both from the poor Christians and from the rich Christians. The temptation is to see ourselves according to the flesh. One temptation that we might have is to consider our own earthly circumstances as reflective of our status with God. So this comes into play with a health and wealth theology. That if someone's going through a trial, it's because they're being sinful. It's because of their particular sin that they are enduring this trial. Now sin has consequences, surely. And you will face consequences for your sins. But often we, bec- we can become like Job's terrible advisors saying, you really are going through this because there's something you haven't confessed. God is punishing you for your sin. And what we really need to do is, is trust in God more, get rid of our sin, and then we'll have a happy life. We'll be healthy. We won't have si- sickness. We'll be wealthy. We'll have all that we need. What happens if you preach that message to Paul, though? Does that make any sense if you preach that message to the Apostle Paul? Paul, if you just would trust God more, you wouldn't be shipwrecked like always happens to you. That snake wouldn't have bit you. You wouldn't be in jail right now if you just trusted God more. Or what about if we preach that message to Jesus our Lord? Would that make any sense whatsoever? No, it's, it's because Paul was obeying Christ and serving Christ that he had a bad life in earthly terms. It's because he served Christ with all that he had that he went through trials of various kinds. So we cannot see our earthly circumstances as necessarily reflective of our status with God. There's also a temptation for us to see and judge others according to the flesh. To see someone who is is poor or of lowly circumstances, of lowly status with the world and judge them for that, that. Not want to associate with them because of that. So really James here calls us to see others not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This applies to us personally and as a church, corporately. Are we a church for all people or just certain kinds of people? Our status in Christ, our status is independent from our earthly status. 
A second aspect of this status in Christ, it is one of exaltation. This status that we have in Christ, no matter what, our earthly status is one of exaltation. And the command is to boast or glory in your high position. This is true of all believers, not just poor believers. So turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And I want you to see just from this passage what it is that we have in Christ. What is true about our status. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. It might be, it might be worth it to go back and, and study that again later this week. Because Paul is piling up the blessings that we have in Christ. He's piling up the inheritance that we have in Christ. Who we are in Christ. However, we tend, the poor often, or those who are marginalized in other ways, tend to pity themselves. It's like we have the runner-up prize in life. Like we're not quite at the top. And we might begin to look upon ourselves with pity And wish that we had more. But if you're poor, do not pity or look down on yourselves. If you are marginalized, do not look down on yourself. And do not, another temptation, do not yearn for riches and treasures of this earth. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, 7 through 11. Now consider this, in our own lot, in our own station in life, consider this, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. 
Proverbs 23, 4 through 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Children, teenagers, do not yearn for money. Do not yearn for riches. I know it's such a temptation to think, if I just had this, if I just could have enough money to buy these things to fulfill my desires, then I would have what I really need to be happy. Don't do it. This is a warning from Christ Himself. Do not yearn for those things which give you great status in the world. Flee from these things and pursue godliness. Pursue Christ rather than wealth. Because in Christ there is true wealth. True riches. Riches which will not wear away and rust here on this earth. Riches that will not be able to be broken into your house and be stolen. Store up treasure in heaven. And it will never be destroyed. It will never fade away. I love what Craig Blomberg says. This question he asks, which is, I think, especially applicable to us who are in America. How many of us have fallen so in love with this world that if we knew we were to die tonight we would experience genuine sorrow because of missed opportunities for various earthly pleasures. May it not be true of us. May we long for Christ and the inheritance we have in Christ so much that this becomes our boast. That we boast in this, our status with God. And we might think that this would lead to a sort of pride, but really this is the third aspect of our status. This status that we have in Christ promotes genuine humility. It's a status of humble exaltation. Whatever your status in life, whatever you have, what God has accomplished for us in Christ promotes a great humility in ourselves. So to the, the call to boast in the Lord, the call to boast in weakness or our high position in Christ is a call not to boast in ourselves, but rather in God. Not to boast in our strength or our wisdom, our riches, our mor- morality, our beauty, our competence. And we're all tempted to do this, are we not? To think about those things that we are really good at or we really value in ourselves. But to the extent that you boast in yourself, you're not boasting in God. It's like a balance scale. You have a little bit of boasting on this side, on your end, and the balance of your boasting in God changes. However, boasting is not always contrary to humility. If we're boasting in the right thing. If we're boasting in Christ. So for those of us who are rich. All of us. Most of us. Remember that the riches you possess. Here and hereafter. Are from the hand of the Lord. James wants the rich to see this. Everything you have here and now. Has come from his hand. 
Yeah, maybe you worked hard. Maybe you earned it by your work. You wouldn't have it if it weren't for God. Everything you have spiritually has come from the hand of the Lord. Grace upon grace upon grace. And this brings to us a great humility knowing that everything we have has come from the Lord. It has come from Christ. For He is the one who humbled Himself and became a servant. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, He took the lowest place. He was the most beautiful flower of the field who withered and died for the sake of sinners. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Christ for us. That He humbled Himself and died so that you could be forgiven of your sins. Though Christ was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that by His poverty we might become rich. And in Christ we are rich. So I'll conclude with this exhortation from Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 once again. This is what the Lord says. These are the words of the Lord Almighty to you. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, declares the Lord, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight. Let us pray together. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I and we, we are so tempted towards discontentment with our lot in life. We are tempted to see what another has and yearn for it. We are tempted to think that money will solve the problems we face. We are tempted to evaluate ourselves based on our own status. We are tempted to evaluate others and judge them based on their earthly status. We pray that you would bring home these verses, verses 9 through 11 to us right now that you would convict us of sin, of pride, of arrogance, that you would convict us of our searching and yearning for material gain and wealth, that you would bring conviction for not associating with the lowly, casting our lot with them, And we pray that you would give us a heavenly perspective to see who we are in Christ. A heavenly view of our status before you. And that it's not because of anything that we have done to deserve your love or acceptance, but it's all because of Christ promoting us a great humility. Even as we see that in Christ we are truly rich. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.